Morning, everyone. This is our uh, last full day of session, and we still have tomorrow. <coughs> and this is the last talk I'll be giving. And usually, on the last talk, I'd like to um, talk on a theme uh, that brings us back into everyday life and something that's applicable to everyday life from what we're doing here. And the name of this talk is Entitlement and Gratitude. And the place to begin is with our practice principles. You know, the first line is caught in a self-centred dream only suffering. Good place to start. <clears throat> if we look at that a little more closely, um, what's involved in being caught in a self-centred dream is usually um, what, what's synonymous with it is a sense of entitlement um, and a sense of expectation, um, particularly expectation of others um, and a kind of view of the world, I deserve to get what I want. Mm -hmm. That's part of, that's what makes up the characteristic of the self-centred dream. And um, it's where we all begin with practice, including me. If we bypass, if we try to bypass that, um, that aspect of our experience, um, we don't quite get traction on the path. Years and years ago when I started Zen practice, people seemed to um, bypass that recognition um, that that self-centeredness is what brings suffering to our life. Just go straight to the Satori experience. Don't pass go. And um, it has its value, but unless you really acknowledge that fully, um, that you're caught in a self-centered dream, um, doesn't quite practice doesn't quite penetrate that deeply. That's why it's important to go back to it. And we just kind of acknowledge that that's where we are, like everyone, it's part of humanity. There's no need to get caught up in any harsh self-judgment or anything. It's just the way things are. And what goes along with the experience, what creates a self-centred what creates a self-centred dream, and what keeps perpetuating it, is a sense of separateness. It's only because we feel separate that we get caught up in that sense of entitlement, you know, or expectation. And then the more we act out of that position, the more separate we become. Mm -hmm. So that then has an impact on the way that we relate to others which in turn has an impact on how others relate to us. Uh, I was musing over a kind of relationship koan. <laughs> um, and where it came out of, I'll tell you where it came from, this book I'm, I've been reading called The Buddha Pill about how meditation and yoga is used in prisons and so on. Well, it's got a... It's got a few silly little um, stories in there which don't really enhance the book. And one of them is about 
how, um, and they trivialize the subject matter of spirituality in a way. But uh, one of the stories is that, you know, Annie Besant, who was the founder of the Theosophical Society, she made some statement that um, everything is one and everyone's one. And then the, um, the writer G.K. Chesterton, who was a, who's a very devout Catholic, read it and said, you know, I've read all this stuff about, you know, being one. And, and he said, I just think it's utter nonsense. And he said, the reason that I love my neighbour is because he is he and I am I. Uh-huh. Well, it's all kind of spiritual one-upmanship, really. But the relationship koan is, I'm here and you're over there and I'm over there and you're here. That's the relationship koan. And poetically, there's a beautiful um, poem from the Mumon Khan, I think, The Gateless Gate. The moon and the clouds, sorry, the mountains and valleys are one, the moon and the clouds are different. All is blessed, all is blessed. Mm-hmm. Everything is unique and everything is one at the same time. How do we live that out in a relationship? The Cohen of the relationship, mm-hmm. that's that challenge. Um, when we... When we look at mindfulness as a practice, um, and as we know, mindfulness is very, very, very popular now as a practice. Apparently even um, someone told me the other day that 70% of um, CEOs um, practice mindfulness or yoga. Mm -hmm. But if mindfulness is to be a real complete practice, and it could be, um, it can't be selective. It has to be mindful of everything we do in life for it to be a complete practice. And unfortunately, Um, mindfulness gets narrowed down to mindfulness of breath, right, which is, that's fine. Mm, Mindfulness of walking, um, mindfulness of chopping vegetables, mindfulness of swimming, Mm -hmm. mindfulness of having a cup of tea. But then what happens to mindfulness when we're engaging with another person. Say, engaging with someone else in, a, in an intimate relationship, or engaging with someone else where there's conflict, or engaging in a group, trying to make a decision. What happens to mindfulness then? My sense is for the vast majority of people, it goes out the window. Mm-hmm. It's easy to be mindfulness of breath. In fact, sessions are very easy. Uh-huh. That's the easy part. Bringing it back into everyday life and into relationships, that's the difficult part. Mm-hmm. Just being mindful of chopping, easy. Stop. Drinking your tea. Mm-hmm. Being engaged with another person. Mm. We can do it. 
not as though it's hard that we can't do it, but what happens when we're engaged with another person, we do a whole lot of things that psychologists could describe in various concepts, you know, we, we project our feelings onto the other, we deny our own feelings, we exaggerate things, we get things wrong, we misunderstand, mm-hmm. we misperceive, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. And then it's like, it seems like mindfulness is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And within the context of that koan, the practice, you know, is to be, I'm, I'm mindful of me and my experience, and at the same time, I'm mindful of you. Mm-hmm. It's all, all inclusive. Mm-hmm. And I can sort of I can be one with you, but I can be myself and be centred in myself at the same time. They're not contradictory things if you come down to a real um, essential level. And to go back to my talk about the precepts, what the precepts are in, in simpler language and if the, if the word precept is not a good word to use um, to encourage people to do it, precepts are really just simply an extension of mindfulness. It's the mindfulness of how we do harm to others and, and maybe inadvertently to ourselves as well. But that's all. If you put it in plain language, that's what all the precepts are. Being mindful, seeing clearly how your thoughts, speech or actions impact on another person or another being or another animal, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. That's all. Because if we really really were really mindful in our interpersonal reactions, the way we relate to others in life, if we really saw it, then something would start to transform. Just like from this week where we just, we just see our thoughts, we just, we just turn up and we witness whatever is happening in our mind rather than turning away from it or daydreaming or fantasizing. Just turning up to witness over and over again. It doesn't matter what comes into your mind as long as you just witness it. That is, that is transforming. Just turn up, turn up and witness what you do in relationships. Um, and be honest and compassionate about it, and that's transformative. What tends to um, happen in relationships is if we start first from the individual, each individual's to some degree caught up in their self-centered dream which is driven by grasping and aversion and it's like, a, you think of it visually like a little, little wheel that goes around inside of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, the, like in the, the wheel of um, life and death, you know, the, the pig and the rooster and the snake chasing each other round and round and round. There's that little wheel going around in us all the time. Mm-hmm. 
which creates the ego. And then the other person's got one of those as well. Mm -hmm. And then the two of them combined create another bigger wheel. So it's kind of like two little wheels and a bigger wheel connecting them. Mm -hmm. Wheels within wheels. Mm -hmm. And in that interaction between people, there's loops occur. This is all systems theory, which is like Buddhism. Loops go round and round and round. And they perpetuate each other. No, 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 no. And an example of a loop might be um, if you get angry at me, then I withdraw. Mm -hmm. And as I withdraw, you get angry at me. Mm -hmm. And as you get angry with me, I withdraw. Right? Round and round and round. Mm -hmm. Relationship wheels. Mm -hmm. um, there used to be an old term in psychiatry called um, folly à deux, which meant a kind of madness created between two people, like they're mad together. Um, and relationships can kind of be like a folly à deux as well. Um, but my favourite term for describing them is samsara à deux. Uh -huh. Samsara with two. Uh -huh. That's what we get caught up in when we go around in those loops together. And the challenge of all this, you know, is to um, recognise this, recognise the loop that we're in and then the loop that we create together. And all I can do is take responsibility for my loop inside. You can only take responsibility for your loop inside that goes around and around. One of the things which is really important in all relationships, um, and it's a particular skill that needs to be refined and developed if you're a counsellor or a therapist, in, in particular a couple therapist, um, is that everyone has their own karma. And you can't, you can't necessarily change someone else's karma. You might point things out to them and so on, but you, you, you can't ultimately change it. Everyone's just got their own karma and makes their own decisions and their own intentions. And they go in the direction they're going to go. Mm -hmm. And we create, we, we create a, a mistake, either professionally or, or personally, if we try to impose our own will on someone else's karma. If they keep on making mistakes, well, they keep on making mistakes. Mm -hmm. We can't necessarily change the course of that. We can bring compassion and understanding, all those things that might assist some, someone. But at the end of the day, everyone's problem is their own problem. And what karma is, my understanding of karma, is just the collection of intentional decisions, actions that have accumulated during a lifetime, which make us who we are and where we are right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes people have heavy karma, <coughs> kind of a, we can have a sense we've got a heavy, a heavy energy there. And sometimes people have a light karma. You know, it like, doesn't seem like there's a, a burden they're carrying around so much. And um, I can transform. 
As we practice, we, we lighten. And I don't believe it takes us hundreds of lifetimes to let it go either. We could, in fact, let it go just right that. So, entitlement and gratitude, um, practice is a movement out of entitlement into gratitude. So entitlement is that I should just get anything I want. Gratitude is just to have an appreciation for what we have mm -hmm. um, and, and who we have as a partner and who we are as ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's a real shift to go from entitlement to gratitude. And in talking about this, um, I want to make it really crystal clear as we go through this little, little exercise and what I'm saying, is that to cultivate gratitude towards others and significant others around us doesn't necessarily mean that you might have to stay with them. You, know, you might stay with them or you may not stay with them. Mm -hmm. that, that's everyone's decision to make. Mm -hmm. I would never, in, like in couples, ever, ever tell people that they should either stay in a relationship or leave it. It's not my business. It's their karma. Mm -hmm. So as we go through this process, those decisions are entirely yours to make. But whether we choose to stay with some or separate, um, the act of gratitude is a wonderful thing in itself. And what I want to call on as a little exercise for us just to go through as a reflective exercise to, to finish this off um, comes from um, Nikon therapy, and I've spoken a little bit about this on Tuesday night. But uh, Nikon therapy is a wonderful little, quite refreshing way of um, people working and growing, which comes from Japanese Buddhism and Japanese psychology. And its subtitle is the art of Nikon, the art of gratitude. And uh, <clears throat> One thing to say about it before we go into it is that there is a distinction to be made between um, the practice of mindfulness, which is the practice of being present, which is what we're essentially doing, but there are other spiritual practices which are the practice of reflection. Right? So reflection is about going back into the past, but reflection has its place in spiritual practice and it has, a, it has a place in Zen practice as well, in Dharma practice, not just Christianity. In Christianity they do a lot of reflection, mm -hmm. it's looking at what you did in the past. Mm -hmm. and there's no reason why that can't be included. Anything which is a upai, anything which is a skillful means to break down this self-centred separateness is great. Mm -hmm. If it works. So in Nikon therapy, it's very simple. There's three questions which are asked for us to reflect on. And the first one is, what have I received from... Next 
XYZ. And we just stay with that and we bring a person to mind. Probably best to bring someone you have a difficulty with to mind to make it a more interesting experience, a more challenging experience. Um, what is it that I have received from X? I reflect on that for a while. The next one is, what have I given to X? And the next one is, which is the one which is emphasised the most, what troubles and difficulties have I caused X? Mm -hmm. Now, there isn't a next question in terms of what are all the troubles and, and things that X has caused me. Uh -huh. The reason why there isn't is because we're past masters in that. We've got PhDs in that. We all know that very, very well. Uh -huh. We don't need to go over that one again. That's our bias. That's the bias we come from in the self-centred dream. All the difficult things and troubles that everyone else has done to me. Store them away. You know, and ruminate on them. So this is a way of trying to... It's not denying that, but it's a way of trying to open up and, and challenge some of our fixed views of the world. So as a way of um, rounding this off, what I'd like to invite you to do is just sit in a, in a meditation position. And then first of all, just consider someone who comes to mind that you have some degree of difficulty with in your life. Just bring their image to mind. Just let them be present. And then just ask yourself the question, what have I received from so-and-so? Just stay with that for a few minutes.
then let that question drop away and ask him the next question. What have I given to such and such? And then drop that question and come to the last. What troubles and difficulties have I caused such and such?
we just let, let that question drop away <clears throat> and just sit quietly for a moment. That's a little taste of Nikon therapy. They tell me if you spend half an hour a day doing that for a week, you can even journal it. Most people feel much happier at the end of the week. 